coming to you live from the Florida State Fair, courtesy of one Mr. George Steinbrenner. We'll be seeing him later on. And what a broadcast we have for you. Yes, indeed, a little unseasonably cold outside here in Florida, but it is hot inside. And we have got a tremendous crowd on hand for another great edition of WCW Nitro live on TNT. I'm Eric Bischoff along with Bobby the Brain Heenan, Pepe and Steve Mongo McMichael. Super Bros 6 has come and gone. Singh and Lex Luger still the World Tag Team Champions. Conan still the US Champion. Johnny B. Bad has not only still have the World Television title, he's got $6.6 .6 million of the Dolls money back. Big night, but what about the biggest, I tell you what, this was a surprise. The Nature Boy, Rip Flair, made it lucky 13, Mongo. Let me tell you, folks, if you didn't tune into that, you got a screw loose because I don't know how they split up, Brain, but Elizabeth had an extra grind with the Macho Man, or should I say a high heel extra grind. I couldn't believe what happened last night. Well, when you're dealing with a woman, you never know what's going through her mind. You never know how far back she holds resentment. You never know what her plans are ahead. All you got to do is be careful. Savage no longer has the title, but he's got one badly busted a body and a broken heart. Welcome to where the big boys play. Welcome to 20 Years of Nitro, our week-by-week -week breakdown of WCW's flagship show, where each episode is reviewed on the 20th anniversary of its airing. I am your host, Tim Root, and with me, as always, is my broadcast partner, David the Brain Amantorp. Dave, how are you doing this week? Mothers, hide your daughters, because the nature boy, Ric Flair, is on top of the mountain once again. You may notice this week that uh, Dave does not sound like he's recording inside of a like aluminum uh, closet. That is because we <laughs> we figured out that his microphone was backwards for the last several weeks. So I have upgraded from being on WCW Pro <laughs> to actually being on Nitro. Yeah, welcome to the big time. <laughs> Today, of course, is February 12th, 1996, and we are coming to you from Tampa Bay, Florida, in front of 6,000 fans. Uh... It was pretty much they all got in for free, thanks to George Steinbrenner, who actually had some kind of giveaway uh, where you could go to the Florida State Fair and get free tickets to WCW Monday Nitro. So it was some kind of promotion they had going on with, uh, shit, he had a nickname. What was Steinbrenner's nickname? Was it just the boss? Yeah, fuck him then. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think it should be fair to mention that since we're both from Minnesota, we both really hate George Steinbrenner. Yeah, absolutely. So the fact that when they said right away that this this show is courtesy of Steinbrenner, I was prepared to hate everything about <laughs> it. Well, before we get into too many of the details, I want to remind everyone that you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash 20 years of nitro on Twitter at 20 years of nitro. You can email the show at 20 years of nitro at gmail.com. We're also part of piledriverwrestling.net's OSW podcast network. And you can also find us at the Freakin' Awesome Network at FreakinAwesomeNetwork.com. For a moment, I thought you were going to forget that one. I was like, how can you forget Oh, no, I'm just preparing. Freakin' Awesome. <laughs> I'm just preparing the stroke that I have when I say <laughs> Freakin' Awesome. So, uh, yeah, we are coming to you. This is the night after Super Brawl. Uh, so let's start off right away with our Super Brawl results. The Nasty Boys defeated Public Enemy in a street fight. 
Johnny B. Bad defeated Diamond Dallas Page to retain the TV title, the services of the Diamond Doll, and to win $6 million of DDP's money. <laughs> uh, in a storyline that, uh, obviously, for anyone that's been listening to this show, has been playing uh, completely off Nitro. That's all stuff that's basically been happening on Saturday night. The DDP character, uh, as I recall it, and I, I might get a, a couple of these details wrong, but it started off with him, he had like won the lottery, and he had all this money. And then he lost all the money at some point, but then he regained the money, and then it turned out through this storyline that actually the, the second amount of money was actually money that Kimberly Page had won. Uh, Kimberly, just known as the Diamond Doll at this point, mm -hmm. she had won playing bingo. Uh, so it was actually her <laughs> money, but for some reason, uh, to get her money back, Johnny B. Bad had to win a wrestling match. It's all very stupid. Yeah, I... I I think that the I think this feud is finally over because they faced at like three or four pay per views since we've started and I, Johnny B Bad needs to kind of move on to someone else. Well, uh, spoiler alert: Johnny B Bad will very soon be moving on to somewhere else, but we will be talking about that <laughs> in the wah, wah. in the weeks ahead. <laughs> uh, Sting and Lex Luger retained their tag team titles against Harlem Heat when Road Warrior Animal slipped Luger a foreign object. Uh, you might remember that they had challenged the winners of that match later at Super Brawl. So uh, Harlem Heat, I just want to note here, they continue, despite being heels, they continue to only lose their matches by having their opponents cheat against them. <laughs> right. They're basically, I mean, I don't, uh, they're basically heels because it's 1996 and they're angry black guys right. in a TV show based in the South. Like, yeah. that's the only reason they're heels. <laughs> they don't know what else to do with them. Conan retained his uh, United States title in a terrible match against One Man Gang. Ooh, that doesn't that doesn't even sound good. <laughs> oh, it's it's really bad. Uh, Brian Pillman and Kevin Sullivan in their uh, "I Respect You" strap match uh, went to kind of a infamous incident where Brian Pillman uh, comes out. He's holding the strap, and uh, then Sullivan comes out. Pillman just starts whipping Sullivan with the strap. They never actually get strapped together. And uh, Pillman, after about 30 seconds, just grabs the microphone from a bewildered referee and says, I respect you, Booker man, mm -hmm. and then immediately heads to the back. But we're going to talk more about that incident, um, what led to it and its aftermath uh, at the end of our show when we kind of recap our news from around the wrestling world. Uh, right after that, Arn Anderson came out, though, and they start a new strap match between him and Kelvin Sullivan just to kind of try to provide what was advertised for the show. Uh, it eventually goes to a no contest when Ric Flair just sort of wanders out and says, hey, stop fighting, guys. <laughs> right. It's, it's very strange. <laughs> Sting and Lex Luger then uh, have their second match of the night against the Road Warriors, which ends uh, with a double count out. Woo! All right. Ric Flair defeats the Macho Man to win the heavyweight championship uh, when Miss Elizabeth turns on the Macho Man and becomes a heel for the first time in her wrestling career. What? Yeah, it's pretty nuts. <laughs> pretty nuts. And also, there was more high heel shenanigans involved in that one, too. <laughs> yeah, well, as you probably heard there in the intro, uh, Mongo says that Liz has an axe to grind, or should I say, a high heel axe to grind. <laughs> <laughs> he should say that. <laughs> he really should. God, <laughs> Mongo, never change. Uh, Hogan, then in the main event, defeats the Giant uh, in, a, in a cage. I should have mentioned, I believe, the... Uh, the Ric Flair and Macho Man matches in a cage as well. Yeah. That was the deal with Super Bowl. It's been a few weeks, actually, since I watched this show. But, yeah, so that was in a main event. And then Hogan and the Giant in the main event. Hogan defeats the Giant. Then the 
entire Dungeon of Doom runs out. He mm-hmm. handles all of them easily with a chair. They all look like a bunch of complete geeks. And then uh, as as they're getting fended off, Loch Ness makes his debut. He's the newest addition to the Dungeon of Doom. Uh, and he is a giant fat man who we will talk <laughs> about pretty soon uh, on this particular show. But his, his actual debut is there at Super Brawl. Uh, he tries to enter the cage to fight with Hogan, but the rest of the dungeon holds him back so there's there's just a tease there there's no actual fight or, or anything like that at the beginning of our show tonight bischoff recaps all the super brawl happenings uh all the titles holders retained except for macho man pepe this week is wearing a bandana glasses and headphones and mongo is has kind of stopped trying to link what pepe is wearing to what the show like any kind of theme he just wears costumes and, and that's it mm-hmm I don't know, maybe someone talked to him and was like, look, the dog can wear costumes, but like, we're not going to keep focusing on your fucking dog. <laughs> Although uh, Bishop introduced Pepe before he introduced Mongo <laughs> this week. <laughs> uh, so we see some stills of last night, and as uh, they recap the Sullivan and Pillman match, uh, Bischoff just kind of in a tossed-off comment says, Pillman is history. He says, you know, Pillman, and Sul- Pillman lost to Sullivan. He's history. Yep. And that's about all that you need to know about uh, Brian Pillman. He's he's out of the company, or is he? Uh, again, we'll talk about it later. Uh, Bischoff then, when he's talking about Macho Man versus Flair, he makes some uh, cheeky allusions to the fact that Flair's ass was exposed about three times during that match. <laughs> uh, we see a recap of Liz's heel turn, and then we see a recap <laughs> of the Giant and Hogan. <laughs> heel turn. Oh, uh. nice. Uh, we head then to the ring where Bischoff tells us that we're going to see Hugh Morris versus the Macho Man. He also tells us that Macho is going to have his rematch uh, next week against Flair for the championship. And WCW always calls rematches return matches, which is just a little different thing they do that I don't like. I, I like rematch. I do not like return match. Right. <laughs> Macho's music plays, and he comes out after, like, just kind of a weird pause, and uh, he does look more intense than usual, although he still kind of comes down shaking hands and pointing at random fans in the crowd. Yeah, um, Eric Bischoff makes a a point to mention that uh, Savage is not being particularly flashy because he's upset, but and only Randy Savage could wear neon green tights, tassels, and a tie-dye do-rag and be considered not flashy. (laughs) Wrestling. (laughs) Randy and Morris brawl to start off the match before Hugh nails some elbows and chops in the corner. Macho Man fights back in with punches and drags Hugh Morris's eyes across the ropes. Bischoff puts over how Hogan held off the entire Dungeon of Doom, which makes Macho Man look like a loser as he's currently on our screen being dominated by one of the lower-level guys in the Dungeon of Doom. Right, and he also assures us that Hulk Hogan would have handled Loch Ness if he would have gone in the cage. So uh, Bischoff's going pretty early into the... uh, uh, pump up Hulk Hogan playbook tonight. Yeah, that's actually my next note. Yeah, Bischoff buries Loch Ness, who has not even wrestled in the company, <laughs> by letting us know that Hogan, who was fighting off eight other guys, would have easily beat him off too. Right. <laughs> and who wouldn't want to easily beat off the Loch Ness monster? <laughs> hey Macho Man gets back into the match with some kicks, but Morris nails some punches before getting caught by a Macho Man big boot for a two. Morris chokes Macho with the top rope, and I am almost asleep. This match has started off so boring. <laughs> Macho eventually tosses Hugh outside and runs him into the ring post before rolling him back into the ring. They fight back and forth until Morris hits a suplex and chokes Randy some more. The announcers talk forever about how Savage and Flair have been feuding uh, way back since, like, September when we started the show, when they appeared on Baywatch together. 
Uh, apparently, they didn't get along too well on set, Dave. What? Yeah. <laughs> it really <laughs> dates the show to keep wrapping up their storylines with what's going on on Baywatch. Mm-hmm. Especially uh, since like they recorded that the previous summer, and kind of a lot of things have happened since then. That's true, but I, I do think uh, that it's probably a smart move by the company to like associate themselves with such a popular brand. Mm-hmm. I mean, Baywatch in 96... I forget if it was in 96, but at some point in the mid-90s, it was the most watched show on the planet. So I, I do understand why WCW keeps making... You know, they made a big deal when it was filmed, mm-hmm. and now that that episode's finally airing, they're making a big deal about it again. Yeah. Macho Man hits a couple standing elbows and a running double axe handle into the corner, and then does the exact same thing in the other corner, <laughs> just in case the fans at the other angle wanted to see it too. This is one of those moments when you're kind of watching Randy Savage and you're like... I remember he used to be like such a good wrestler, <laughs> but he, he, I mean, every one of his matches seems the same. Uh, I mean, he goes outside the ring, throws guys at the barricade, uh, brawls, like axe handles, punches, things like that. I, I just, I, I seem to remember a lot more of a variety and more technical and aerial wrestling from him. Maybe it's just because he's older and as you can tell, he suffered a lot of injuries in his career. And he, he's dealing with, quite a few active injuries right now the neck the back and his arm are all hurting at this time yeah but it's just i a lot of the time it feels like on nitro when he wrestles he's kind of wrestling the same match yep absolutely morris hits a scoop slam and goes for the no laughing matter moonsault but uh, macho man rolls out of the way hits his own scoop slam and then the flying elbow the crowd is into it so much that Macho Man decides to milk it. Mm-hmm. It, it, it feels very off the cuff, uh, the way he handles this. They're cheering. Yeah. So rather than go for the pin, he just goes up for another elbow, gets the one, two, three. Uh, Bischoff at this point says that Morris will be coughing up his rib cage for the next six weeks. Yes. <laughs> Macho Man uh, hears the cheers of the crowd and decides to go up for a third elbow. Uh-huh. And I honestly believe that the reason Hugh Morris rolls out of the ring here is not to like you know get heat or anything i think it's because that elbow fucking hurts right. you hear guys talk about taking the macho man elbow and they say it legitimately was very painful right uh kevin sullivan kind of points out if you notice macho man when he does the elbow he holds on to his fist with his other hand mm-hmm. which kind of sturdies the arm and sullivan's explanation is that macho man did, did that because he had an old arm injury from his baseball days uh, and he so he was just trying to brace that arm to make sure he didn't injure it when delivering the elbow. But it, it had the end effect of making the elbow stiffer uh, to the guy who was taking yeah. it. Yeah, so he's like, I don't want to injure my elbow, so I'll just make sure to injure sternums instead. <laughs> <laughs> Randy then gives a very short promo about uh, how he wants to beat up Flair. Yeah. Well, which I, I, I mean, thought it's not we, even a promo, it's a sentence. Yeah, which I thought was kind of funny because it's like we, we were told that he's going to face him next week. It's almost like... Bischoff might have announced that before he actually told Randy Savage that. Yeah. <laughs> which is po- which is very well possible. But he makes it sound like, I want a match with Flair. Right. And, and we're like, yeah, you do have a match with Flair. Relax. <laughs> uh, on his way to the back, we see Randy stop and shake hands with what appears to be a very sick kid in a wheelchair. And the announcers don't mention it at all, which I like, because it actually makes it seem like a genuine human moment and not like an exploitative cheap, right. you know, piece of shit. Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, it's weird, not calling Randy a piece of shit, but just the fact that they would play that up for like, look how great our company is. Sure. It seems like it's probably still intentional because why would the camera follow him to the back? Yeah. You know, but so we're headed to commercial and Bischoff hypes the, the return match for next week. And for some reason, Mongo goes, 
take the shock collar off the Doberman, baby. <laughs> and in that context, I have no idea why he's saying that. <laughs> he says it in the way that he's usually like, put the remote control in the toilet or yeah. like tell grandma to stay in her chair. Right. But I don't know why the shock collar has to come <laughs> off the Doberman for, the, for this oh, one. The only way I associated it was with the fact that like Savage was like, really beaten down on humorous and it was like he was the doberman someone took the shot collar off of him okay okay that that's how i associated <laughs> it but i mean who knows what he meant after a commercial uh i'm gonna play an audio clip at this moment but i i really want to focus you the audience onto one thing mean gene okerland is out to interview wcw motorsports driver steve grissom okay uh, he's he's uh, like a nas i don't know if it's nascar or what i i honestly kind of was tuning it out a little bit but he drives a wcw themed car in some kind of races yes now grissom you know he's an he's a a, a media figure i was gonna say athlete but for the record driving a fucking car is not a sport and you are not an athlete <laughs> um but but he's out there and he's a media figure he knows how to give an interview right so he's he's saying the normal stuff that he would say to espn or the uh you know redneck sun times or whatever the fuck <laughs> You're not really you're not really pandering for your racing fans here. <laughs> I know some guys probably like, oh, I like the show until he started being a dick about my hobbies, and I'm a wrestling fan, so who am I to judge? Uh, but the, the the point I'm trying to make is he's giving decent answers to the questions Gene asks him, mm -hmm. and Gene will completely ignore what he says to just ask the next question because Gene Okerlund clearly does not give a fuck about car racing. <laughs> right. So everything he says is just like that car's looking pretty good, and the guy will talk for a little bit, and he'll be like. Bet you go fast, huh? <laughs> it's, it's just the worst interview because Gene Okerlund could not give two shits about what the guy's saying. Yeah, and to be honest, when they came back from a commercial, I saw him with, because the guy's wearing like the racing uh, yeah. outfit or whatever. I could tell who he was, and I just like tuned the whole thing out. So. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, it's not worth listening to except for laughing at how out of it Gene <laughs> Okerlund is. He does not care. We are back live for the State Fair in Tampa, Florida. With me at this time, number 29, WCW's car. Of course, our association with Diamond Ridge Motorsports. I saw those guys in the golf course earlier today. I'm talking about our driver, Steve Grissom. What a great association, and great to have you here at Nitro. Yeah, it sure is. I tell you what, Gene, we're awfully excited about it. And uh, just to be here tonight with all the fans, uh, you know, a lot of the same people that are here tonight are the ones that watch the races. We're awfully excited about what this about, What about the car itself? I'm excited about the way it looks. Uh, it's uh, just a fantastic-looking car. Yeah, it sure is. I tell you, the car looks awful good, and uh, it's running awful good. Uh, we got out today at Daytona and got some practice in. We qualify tomorrow, get ready for Saturday's race. We're looking forward to Sting's coming down. He's going to work in the pit crew for us, so uh, we got a big weekend ahead of us. All right, you got Sting and yourself in WCW's car number 29 this weekend in Daytona. And as you mentioned, you burned up the track today, Steve. Yeah, I tell you, it, you know, it's just one of those situations. You get out there and you start practicing and stuff, kind of filling the car out, seeing what you got. Then we get ready to qualify tomorrow. Tomorrow's a big day for us. By the way, Gary Bechtel and Andre Carolla better come up with some dough. They lost on a golf course today. Thank you, Steve Grissom. Thanks, appreciate it. <laughs> Let's get you back to the ring here on Nitro. Next up, we get uh, American Males. American Males. American, American Males. males. American, American males, males. <laughs> uh, as Scott Riggs. Uh, you notice that he is now Scott Riggs and not Scotty Riggs, or at I, least that's what his Chiron said this week. Hmm. He comes out to face Loch Ness. Uh, Bischoff actually says that he hopes Riggs has his life insurance paid up, which is kind of a fucked up thing to say. <laughs> 
Buff is nowhere to be seen. He is not there to support his partner. Yeah. And this kind of reminds me of way back when there was two weeks in a row where one week uh, Buff took on Luger and mm-hmm. the next week Riggs did. Yep. When Buff took on Luger, Riggs was at ringside. When yeah. Riggs took on Luger, Buff was nowhere to be found. <laughs> yeah. Also, um, it, you do notice that on occasion they call him the Loch Ness Monster. Yes. And sometimes they call him Loch Ness. I believe he's supposed to just be called Loch Ness. I think but, you're right. But I think it's it, obviously it's really easy to just say the whole thing. Too. Absolutely. It's hard to say Loch Ness without saying monster. And also, the more I think about it, the goofier it is because Loch Ness is the name of a lake. Yeah, it's just Lake Ness if you were to translate it you know, into an American name. Right. So, like... <laughs> So that'd be like another country if we had like the Lake Superior monster. If they called a guy just Lake Superior, I just the more I thought about, it, I was like, "That's goofy." Actually, that sounds like a New Japan name. Just some big fat American guy, Lake Superior. Yeah, I could I could picture that. <laughs> After a commercial, out comes Loch Ness, a giant fat English guy in a camo <laughs> jumpsuit, accompanied by Jimmy Hart. Loch Ness is Martin Ruane, born in London but raised in the Manchester area. He was a bouncer and laborer until a friend suggested that he try wrestling. He began using the name Haystacks Calhoun simply because there was an American wrestler who was also big and fat uh, who was named Haystacks Calhoun. Right. So soon uh, he was like, well, I can't, I guess I can't just have the exact same name. So he changed his name to Giant Haystacks, which is actually a name I love. I love the name Giant Haystacks. I think that's awesome. (laughs) He teamed and feuded with uh, English wrestling legend Big Daddy throughout the 70s and 80s while also appearing all over the world, including in Stu Hart Stampede Wrestling, uh, where he appeared with the name The Loch Ness Monster. So this is actually not Uh the first time he's used this kind of gimmick. Mongo says if ugly could kill, this guy would be world champion. (laughs) And that's, I mean, I don't mean to be a dick, but he is really fucking ugly. (laughs) He really is. He also, he looks like he works for public sanitation, too. Just the the way he dressed. Um, Just, he looks like just a bum that just, like, kind of rolled off the couch and got into a wrestling ring. Except if I saw a bum that was that big, I'd be like, where is that bum getting all that food? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Point taken. Riggs tries some punches and a dropkick, but it barely staggers the Loch Ness. Riggs goes to the top rope for a missile dropkick and some more punches, but Loch Ness, again, hardly moves. Probably because he can't actually physically move. <laughs> Riggs goes to the top again for a crossbody, but Loch Ness tries and fails to catch him. Yes. Instead, he lazily just kind of lets him fall to the mat before clumsily falling over onto poor Scott's legs. <laughs> he just drops him and then falls onto him to cover it up, and it looks so painful. Yeah. He then goes into the corner, struggles to breathe for a bit, and then takes a step and a half forward because uh, he's going to drop an elbow, which is his finisher. Yeah. But Riggs has kind of kicked his leg up into the air, so Loch Ness just casually waves and tells him to put his leg down. <laughs> he's just like, no, mate, put your leg down. <laughs> and then he goes back in the corner to awkwardly redo the spot. He hits a gigantic falling elbow. Uh, I mean, the falling elbow looks devastating because it's, I mean, you call it an elbow, but it's most of this guy's gigantic torso just crashing down on you. Yeah. Uh, Riggs sells it like he's having a complete seizure. (laughs) Loch Ness actually gets up and hits another one and picks up the victory uh, in a complete squash. It was, it was truly terrible. Um, What did you make of the, the in-ring debut in WCW of Loch Ness? (laughs) I... (laughs) When you mentioned it, I was shocked to find out that he's like a wrestling veteran <laughs> because he 
from the very beginning, it, it looks like he, he he doesn't know what a wrestling ring is. He there's no he has like no semblance of like pacing. Yeah. Or I mean, I I guess he he does like three moves, so you can't really expect a lot out of it. But like once he has Scotty Riggs on or Scott Riggs on the mat, he kind of just like stands up and and like just lets himself stand there and think about what to do next when it's clearly going for the elbow. So I guess it, it it probably should be noted that he's 50 years old at this point. Okay. And he's gigantic. He is gigantic. Uh, so I, I think, I'm not saying that at one point he was Eddie Guerrero. Right. But it's, it's very possible that in his younger days he could move pretty well for such a giant guy. Mm-hmm. And they got him sort of based on that reputation, but it's just not in him anymore. Yeah. You know? but, and not only that, it doesn't, it doesn't appear as though he's going to like put forth an extra effort. He, he, I don't sense a lot of effort coming out of him. Sure. Um, uh, again, spoiler alert. He, he turns out, um, unbeknownst to him at this time, he's awfully sick and he doesn't really know it at this point. Okay. Um, his, his WCW tenure is pretty short. Um, I guess I'll just get out with it now because um, it's not a major storyline or he's not a huge character. Right. He, he finds out pretty short into his WCW run that uh, he has cancer. I believe it's stomach cancer. And ultimately, that's uh, what ends up killing him, unfortunately. Uh, just about two years later, he's he's dead by 1998. Oh, okay. So uh, he's he's not really well at this point, unfortunately. So, you know, I, I poke fun at him, but, but I also feel bad for the guy because he's brought in as a total freak show. He's mm-hmm. old. He's not healthy. Um, and to defend him a little bit, I, I mentioned it, we were texting a little bit about him last night, and I said that I think I'm going to end up defending him a bit. Uh-huh. And it's not that I think he's good, but I do think that if I'm changing channels and I see this guy dropping an elbow on Scott Riggs, I'm going to stop and see what the fuck's going on. <laughs> like, I could see him catch, you know, catching mm-hmm. some eyeballs because, holy shit, look at that guy, you know? So I, I think there is a aspect to wrestling that's always been the freak show aspect. You know, yep. Great Khali sucks. But some people just want to see, like, holy shit, look how tall that guy is. You uh-huh. know? Big Show, I, I don't like Big Show. I find him very boring. But when you see him in person, it's impressive just to see a guy that big. You're like, wow, I didn't I didn't realize that I actually think Big Show is kind of cool until I saw him in person. I was like, wow, look at that guy. <laughs> you know. After that, we go to Mean Gene in the entryway who, who talks on while Woman and Liz wheel out a gurney with a body <laughs> covered in a sheet. And let's go to an audio clip of the following promo. <laughs> oh, let's. let's go down to Mean Gene. Eric, I like to have our television cameras follow follow us if we could. I had planned on talking to once again the WCW heavyweight champion for the 13th time, the Nature Boy Ric Flair. However, I used the word, well, I don't want to say it really. His accomplices from last night are woman, and you, you surprised me to say the least, Elizabeth. I had no idea that it would turn out this way. Well, Gene, you know, Randy promised that last night someone was leaving the building on a gurney. Well, it may have taken us all night, but Ric Flair is a man of his word. Leaving on a gurney. Leaving on a gurney. Leaving on a gurney, the nature boy, Ric Flair, 13th time. Just just taking a little catnap, you know. It's not easy being Ric Flair. It's not easy being a nation boy. And let me tell you, for those of you that don't understand what has happened, we now have woman on our right, 
and Miss Woo by God Elizabeth on our left. And we also just happened to be for the 13th time the reigning world heavyweight champion. So we can dance all night. Oh, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. Ooh, Ric Flair, what ooh. about next week? The cat is out of the bag. You have got a mandatory title defense against Randy Savage uh, right here on Nitro. And I can't wait any time I have an opportunity. Come here, good old kid. What is, what is anytime. it? Anytime. Follow me, Gene. Anytime I have an opportunity to walk the aisle, to style and profile, to be the nature boy, to... Fly in Learjets to ride in long limousines and to talk to the girls about Space Mountain all night long. You gotta love it. You gotta love it. But Savage Hogan, in a serene moment, let me just say that sometimes, sometimes only. A woman can say things as eloquently as they need to be heard. What is he talking about, yes, Elizabeth? Elizabeth? Yes. The floor is yours, darling. Come over here, woman. Yes, I have something to say. For seven years, I had to walk behind Randy, sit in the corner, and never open my mouth. Well, when I left, I took half of everything. Half the money, half the property. But that was nothing because last night I took it all. Oh. Oh, wait a minute here. What she wants to say. I know that that belt was the most important thing to Randy. And he prides himself on living on the edge. Well, he's over the edge and looking up the at least. the nature boy. Me, Gene, to sum it all up as we walked through the fairgrounds of Tampa, Florida Expo. I saw a guard say, oh my God, what's causing all this? Girls, thank you very much, nature boy, Ric Flair, oh my. So as you can hear there, Liz grossly says that Savage's prophecy that someone would be leaving in a gurney came true. Uh, although it took her and woman all night of, I guess, just fucking Ric Flair <laughs> to put him in a gurney. <laughs> right. It's like, that's so gross. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it. <laughs> Flair, when Flair pops up under the sheet, though, and starts giving his promo, yeah. he is in all of his glory. Yeah. he's He, like, takes time during the promo to get both women on his arm mm -hmm. and then strut forward while making Gene follow him holding the microphone yeah. in his mouth. It's incredible. Yeah. I, I wrote... Um, I said, man, Flair is unhinged tonight. He's, he's so good, and it really points out how terrible Liz is. Because mm. it's her wooden delivery, then Flair's amazing delivery, and then back to her for more wooden, shitty... And there's one point where she forgets her line and just stands there, and Flair starts to bail her out and go, what she means to say... And then she interrupts him because she remembers finally what her line is. Oh. And I wanted to just scream at my TV, like, no, just let him tell us what you were going to say. Okay. It would be more interesting that way. Yeah. I mean, there was... that. I, I didn't notice that part where there was the pause, and there was a look on Miss Elizabeth's face where she's like, please get that microphone away from me. Yes. You could tell, like, 
there there's obviously a reason why we haven't heard her before because not yeah. only does she not have a delivery, I don't think she has any interest in talking in front of people. And it's and it's so incumbent upon a heel to sell a character more than a baby, especially for a pretty woman, a pretty woman who's a baby face. Mm-hmm. Just smile and look pretty and look supportive. If you're a heel, like, you need to, and you're pretty, especially, like, the crowd is going to want to be like, hey, look at her, she's hot, I, I like that, I am a male. Yeah. You need to make them hate you, so you need to have a character. Like, woman looks, like, disdainful of the men, you know, like, she looks, mm-hmm. at all times, she's playing a character that seems unlikable. Liz is just, like, her character is intensely uncomfortable person. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and, uh, and for... And for a moment, I mean, it almost felt like that Elizabeth had a personality, but I do think I think it was like the aura of Ric Flair being right there made her look a little bit interesting, like just by association. Sure. Um, yeah, Ric Flair was just like <laughs> he's just uh, you could just tell like he's in the moment right now. Like I think, especially when he's champion. He he's a guy that puts himself over even more when he's champion and not like trying to be champion. Right. And and, and when it's like only Ric Flair could pull off like popping out of a gurney and <laughs> making it look like a very legitimate way to start a promo. <laughs> All right. Well, uh we go to a commercial and as we come back we get the debut of Dangerous Devon Storm. So dangerous. Let me ask you a question. <laughs> yeah. If I told you that Dangerous Devon Storm and we'll we'll get into his biography in a minute, but if I told you that he is along with Terry Funk, Jerry Lynn and Raven, the only wrestler to have wrestled in WWE, WCW, ECW, TNA and Ring of Honor. <laughs> wow. Would that surprise you? <laughs> it's just... Uh, yeah. <laughs> do you do you and don't spoil it at this point. Do you know who he is later in his career? Uh It's not like he's he's not uh Goldberg. Like it's not going to be like <laughs> no, that shocking. No. But he is a character that m- people are probably going to be more familiar with than the dangerous Devin Storm character. He will go on to portray Crowbar. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I I knew like the Devin Storm name sounded so familiar yeah probably like from when i was a kid but i just wasn't putting it together so he he comes out uh and i guess he looks like a total jobber Mm -hmm. um and you'd think he's a total jobber but bischoff puts this over like it's a big debut on nitro not only that but he's getting a title match (laughs) uh his real name is chris ford he trained under longtime famous wwf jobber iron mike sharp and he has wrestled around the Indies quite a bit. He's he's getting a pretty big name for himself in the Indies, in fact. He's currently training at the WCW Power Plant. Uh, and as I mentioned, years later, he will portray Crowbar uh, after a stint in WWE when or WWF at the time when they're trying to get the light heavyweight stuff going. Mm-hmm. He has a red mullet and ugly neon green over, like, hunter green tights. Mm-hmm. He looks out and he wears sunglasses to the ring. He look he like he if you put jobber in the wrestling dictionary, even though he's not. I mean, he's not completely a jobber, yeah. but it just he just looks like jobber number one. Yeah, no, he immediately reminded me of uh, the Lightning Kid. Yes, <laughs> that's a perfect yes, absolutely. <laughs> and just, I don't know. I I just think it's really funny that his nickname is Dangerous, yeah. and you could tell because it's written all over his back. Throughout the match, uh, and we'll talk about you know his moveset and stuff, but throughout the match, I, I noticed that 
I think he's actually a pretty solid worker, but where he clearly is uncomfortable is engaging the crowd. Like, he never plays the crowd in this match. It's like, do a spot, he keeps his eyes, in, like, on his opponent at all times and just keeps going for him, mm-hmm. and never does the little things a wrestler does to, like, bring the crowd into what he's doing. Yeah. He's here to take on Conan. Uh, Mongo and Bischoff refer to him as a dual champion, uh, as he does hold that prestigious and imaginary Mexican heavyweight championship. <laughs> he only comes out with the uh, U.S. heavyweight title this week. <laughs> prestigious and imaginary. As as we go to commercial, Mongo makes some just sort of Spanish noises, I guess. He's just sort of like, Ariba, I'm racist, Ariba. <laughs> <laughs> right. There's a there's a Cuban American guy on screen. I better make some Mexican stereotypes. <laughs> uh, after a commercial, Conan is staring at the crowd for some unexplained reason. Like we just come back to commercial and and he's just gazing off at the crowd, <laughs> which allows Storm to hit him with a surprise drop kick. So I guess the only reason he was staring in the crowd is this match was supposed to start with a surprise drop kick. <laughs> he then throws Conan out of the ring and hits him with a feet first dive. Uh, under the middle rope, which I thought was kind of cool. He then finds a chair under the ring, and the ref is, like, kind of getting ready to disqualify him for using it. But instead, he runs back into the ring and sets it up and uses it to help him hit an over-the-top rope somersault plancha to the outside. Really kind of a cool moment, actually. Yeah, I just, I, I fail to understand, like, what gets someone disqualified in wrestling. Or WCW at this time. Well, he does, I guess using it as a weapon, but not using it to prepare. Hell, you're you're right though. They yeah, are completely I, they, inconsistent. They've also disqualified people just for throwing one in the ring, too. or for setting up a table. Now that I think about it, yeah. So you're absolutely just, right. It, yeah. But this match, I just kept making notes as far as times when Devin Storm should have been disqualified. <laughs> Kevin Conan gets to his feet, but Storm hits a missile drop kick from the ring apron. Storm then sets up the chair outside the ring, places Conan in the chair, moves the ring steps in front of a seated Conan, and then tries to jump from the steps onto Conan. However, Conan catches him, and it looks like he was supposed to go right into a powerbomb, mm-hmm. but the steps are in the way. He would have to powerbomb him onto the steps, and they must not have agreed to that ahead of time. So Conan instead just awkwardly kind of turns to his left and takes like three baby steps before powerbombing uh, Storm onto the mats. Back in the ring, Storm whips Conan into the corner, but Conan uses the ropes to launch himself up and backwards over Storm's back. Storm turns around, and Conan hits him with a huge clothesline. Conan then heads the ring apron and launches himself back over the top rope into a hurricanrana on Storm. Uh, Conan showing some of the the signs of why he was brought in as opposed to that god-awful mess with one-man gang I watched the night before this. <laughs> I, just something I wanted to mention as far as Conan, because we, now we've seen him in a few matches. Yeah. I, I don't feel like a, he establishes very good chemistry with his opponents. I It seems like he's more focused on just putting out his offense yes absolutely um i i think a lot like his timing's off and also he never gets himself like uh anytime when storm like tries to jump on him or dive out of the ring he never gets himself set up properly to to take those moves absolutely yeah conan's a guy who's all about his stuff and not really giving a shit about anyone else yeah and also i noticed that he has a lot of back knee too yes i noticed that as well and and we all know back knee is pretty much well associated with taking steroids uh, which, if anyone sees me at the beach, that's why I have so much back knee. <laughs> it's not all that pizza. It's all those steroids I'm on. <laughs> that's disgusting. I'm going to have to cut that out. <laughs> Conan does uh, a body scissors into a German suplex. 
uh, and then hypes up the crowd who are actually chanting his name. So I always try to note as when I'm criticizing a guy, if the crowd is into him, mm-hmm. you know, it might be just me that's wrong. Yeah, I, I remember I heard the chanting. I didn't know if it was kind of like enough of a chant to mention it. <laughs> they're, they're, they're trying to get behind him. So, And anytime you get fans starting to get behind a guy, that's always good. He hits a variation on a pump handle slam for a two count. He then locks in a cool-looking leg submission. I don't know what to call as we see George Steinbrenner for the first time. Uh, it's the first time the camera. <laughs> and they, they put him over. And as much as I hate him, it is awesome that he did whatever deal was needed to get all these people to show for free, whatever. Yeah. And <laughs> the, the dude, I, he's supposed to look like he's dressing casual. Yeah. He dresses rich guy casual. <laughs> it's like... It's like white turtleneck yeah. and like sports coat and hmm. I'm going to wrestling. That's that's yacht casual, am I right? <laughs> Storm has escaped the submission and goes for an ankle lock. Conan finally works his way out of that and gets a new hold. Uh, he has a ton of submissions that I just don't know the names were. Uh, but Storm gets to the ropes. Bischoff says still to come is Hogan versus Arn Anderson of the Four Horsemen. But then he says, I guess it's now the Three Horsemen. Ooh. Again, making a little uh, subtle reference to Pillman being gone. Storm gets a weak-looking middle rope springboard heel kick. Mongo says they are beating on each other like yesterday's stepchildren, which <laughs> I've never heard before. I kind of like, though. I'm going to admit that's kind of that's kind of funny. Maybe maybe you mixed up like that someone's yesterday's news. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yesterday's news and redheaded stepchildren. Yeah. Yesterday's stepchildren. Yes. <laughs> They're the old stepchildren. <laughs> I've moved on to newer, better stepchildren. Yeah. Uh, Listeners may remember uh, how last week the power had gone out and Bischoff had implied that WWF may be behind it. Uh And they also made implications as such on the hotline. Yep. Uh, Well, the Turner Legal Department has made him (laughs) apologize. And let's go to an audio clip of that apology. You never know with these guys. We're having a lot of fun here. Hey, you know what? We had some fun last Monday night. And on our WCW hotline, we joked about the reasons for a power outage at WCW experience. So we didn't mean to seriously oh. suggest that anyone from the WWF had anything to do with the blackout and regret, regret if anyone understood our comments in that way. And right now you've got serious action going on inside. So of the- there you go. It's a complete non-apology. It's the old, we were just joking. And if you took it seriously, you're dumb. And I guess I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, but, but it was it was pretty clear the tone that was used before was not just joking. Yeah. Uh, it was... Certainly, he didn't believe that they had... Act- well, maybe he did believe they had actually done it. I don't know. But he was trying to stir up shit. And then when someone was like, you can't... That's illegal to say that we're doing that. Mm-hmm. Then he was like, I was just kidding. Yeah, it's like... It, you can't insinuate that the competition's like sabotaging your product. But not only that, but don't they have... Or didn't they recently have like a lawsuit against each other? WWF had recently filed an FTC complaint about business practices. So uh, the FTC... I don't know how obligated they are to look into it or whatever, but uh, so yeah, there there is definitely like actual legal maneuverings between these two companies, and because of that, uh, this is taken very seriously, and because of the merger that Turner is trying to complete with Time Warner, yeah, their legal department actually tells uh, Bischoff, and we'll see that this maybe get loosened over the next uh, coming weeks and months, but they tell him at this point that he is no longer allowed to mention WWF uh, until the merger is completed. Okay. Which he just did there. Right. Well, no, they tell him he's supposed to apologize. Okay. And then other than the apology, he's not supposed to. They mandated he apologize, and then they mandated you stop talking about WWF. Yeah. But it, it's just like, 
Eric Bischoff has to be kidding himself if he thinks that this should be treated as just a joke. Right. As the apology takes place, Conan counters a storm attempt at a sunset flip powerbomb on the outside into a hurricanrana. Storm then gets Conan isolated in the corner, and as Conan sits upon the top turnbuckle, he hits two of the weakest kicks I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> he goes for a top rope Frankensteiner, but Conan counters that into a powerbomb, and he flips over for the one, two, three. Bischoff says it'll take three surgeons and a Swiss watch to put Storm back together again. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I like that all the surgeons are sharing one watch. <laughs> they don't have, like, a, a hospital. So you get the surgeons, you give them a Swiss watch... Somehow they turn that into a working Devon Storm. I mean, the fact that if they had three surgeons but not a Switch watch, they would not have all the the tools available. <laughs> Shit, where's that watch, guys? <laughs> That's what Devon Storm needs. <laughs> After uh, a commercial, the Horseman music plays and out comes Arn, accompanied by Woman. He gets full pyro this week, uh, along with his full entrance. No job or entrance for Arn this week. Not only that, but he has a, he has a valet and... I, you can tell that Arn Anderson's kind of excited about having a valet. Yeah, it, yeah. I, you know, because when you have like someone with you, it makes you at least in WCW at this time, you're more important if you have a valet. Absolutely. And you, you could tell that he's like, yeah, see, see, now I'm important. <laughs> Hogan is out next, and he still has his eye patch on, and uh, we <laughs> seem to have a majority pro Hogan crowd tonight. It sounds like I'd say. Also, Bobby Heenan referred to it as uh, still having a bad headlight. <laughs> which I just thought was just a funny way to rephrase it. They lock up to start, and Arn takes over control until Hogan uses his superior strength uh, to turn <laughs> an attempt to run his head into a turnbuckle into uh, him running Arn's face into the turnbuckle. He then pushes Arn over into the other corner for some face-biting and a ten-punch spot. <laughs> Arn almost manages to get into things with a running clothesline in the corner, but Hogan no-sells it, and Arn turns right back around into a clothesline and then another, and these are your typical Hogan shitty clotheslines that we've seen a lot lately. Hogan takes over, and with Arn on the mat, he hits uh, two debilitating back rakes. <laughs> Eventually, he tosses Arn to the outside and chases him around the ring a bit before Arn surprises him with a kick. Arn then goes for a pile driver, but Hogan reverses it into a slingshot that sends Arn into the ring post. Hulk then stands Arn up and runs his shoulder into the ring post like five or six times. Mm -hmm. What a baby face. <laughs> Also, I at some point, uh, more towards the beginning, Hogan was uh, punching Arn, and Arn Anderson sells his punches like a world champion. Yeah. And Arn Arn's on, I think, on like the same level of Ric Flair, at least for this match, when it comes to selling Hulk Hogan's offense. Uh, yeah, he he makes him look like he makes the, his vanilla offense look a lot better than it is. Back in the ring, Hogan nails some punches and then unwraps his wrist tape and chokes Arn with it. Uh, well, Nick Patrick is distracted, uh, scolding woman for being a high-powered female in a male-dominated industry. <laughs> I, I wrote that because she's just on the outside doing nothing. Like, yes. there's no reason that Nick Patrick is yelling at her. <laughs> right. It's just like, hey there, woman, you be quiet, you. <laughs> I had enough of you. And is this the is this the part where he did starts losing his mind about Hogan? because uh, because Hogan he ha has done like a incredible amount of cheating at this point. Yeah, he eventually just loses it, saying about how Hogan gets carte blanche as far as what he can do in the ring. Um, he 
eventually turns it into for the fact that he has an injury on the eye. Mm-hmm. But initially, he makes it sound like because he's Hulk Hogan, he can do what he wants. Yeah. And I'm like, he's making a really <laughs> valid point as far as like <laughs> the history of Hulk Hogan. Yeah. And especially, I don't remember before Nitro, like before the Nitro years, if he cheated this much. He he always did to some extent because that's always been part of Bobby's complaint. Like because yeah. he's always had a thing. Like he's a heel announcer and he doesn't like baby faces, but he's always had a thing specifically with Hogan, mm-hmm. and it's always been that Hogan's like a hypocrite who needs to be exposed, you know? Yeah. So this this sort of thing is Bobby's bread and butter when it comes to his beef with Hogan. Yeah. But like <laughs> the point w- that he just had, where he takes off his wrist tape yeah. and starts choking Art <laughs> Anderson, that's <laughs> that's like that's like top level heel cheating right there. Hogan catches an Arn uh, kick attempt and turns the enforcer around before nailing an atomic drop and a side suplex. Hogan drops a couple elbows and then rubs his boot across Arn's eyes to the delight of Emperor Palpatine. <laughs> I mean, George Steinbrenner. <laughs> Hogan with another clothesline and then some punches. Uh, Arn finally catches Hogan with an elbow and heads to the top rope, but Hogan seems to go for a throw like he's, you know, he's fighting Ric Flair, but Arn instead crotches himself. Uh, some kind of miscommunication happened there. Yeah. Arn takes over with some punches to the injured eye, and the crowd gets excited as Flair and Liz head to the ring. Liz is wearing this, like, small, fake leather dress and a bunch of cleavage, and she totally looks like a divorcee who has decided, like, late in life that she's going to find a biker dude. (laughs) Arn is in control, and he hits a spine buster. Uh, Hogan manages to not spring to his feet for once. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Arn even gets a two count before Hogan tosses him off and uh, starts to hulk up. Yeah. Hogan no-sells some punches and goes into the moves of Doom, hitting punches and a big boot, uh, but he plays the crowd instead of going for the leg drop right away. He even taunts Flair with some strutting, and Mongo rightfully questions why Hogan does not end things when he had the opportunity. Hogan finally locks on the figure four, choosing uh, instead of his own move to end it with Flair's. Uh, it's awkward, but it's not. He, he doesn't do his usual unnecessary spin. So he's learned a little bit about how to put that move on. Yeah. <laughs> Arn distracts uh, Nick Patrick and Flair goes to interfere. But uh, what's this? Hogan gets Flair in a small package and he is simultaneously beating both men. <laughs> he's pinning Flair, who's not in the match, and submitting Arn Anderson. Uh, but Patrick eventually separates Hogan and Flair, gets Flair to the outside, and he goes to scold the nature boy. Uh, and woman takes the opportunity to throw some powder in Hogan's eyes. Arn gets a high heel shoe from Liz, and while Nick Patrick yells at Woman about the powder that's now mysteriously in the air, a blinded Hogan wanders over to Arn, who hits the Hulkster in the face with a high heel shoe for the shocking victory. Shocking Arn victory, Anderson yes. pins Hogan one, two, three in the middle of the ring. <laughs> and considering that he suffered through eye rakes, biting the face, choking, closed fists, crotching him on the ropes, choking with athletic tape. Uh, ramming to the ring post, I think, is yeah. kind of heelish. Rubbing his uh, boot across Arn's eyes. Yep. Um, uh, using the other, per- using Flair's taunt, using someone else's finishing move. Those are all really heelish. Yeah. And considering all the stuff that he did, I pretty much feel like Arn Anderson got a clean win. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about why this happened in the first place. Uh, according to Kevin Sullivan. He was sick of hearing backstage bullshit go on between the Flair camp, which was kind of most of the locker room, and the Hogan camp, who was like Hogan, Brian Knobs, uh, Jimmy Hart, The Shark, um, 
Ed Leslie, like those types of guys. <laughs> Not the only one of the nasty boys. <laughs> Sullivan's trying to figure out what to do about this, and he says that the solution was actually given to him by Jim Barnett, longtime wrestling promoter who at this time was serving as a paid advisor to WCW. Barnett suggested to Sullivan that the perfect way to solve the problem was to have Hogan lose to Arn Anderson. The thinking was that Hogan would agree because Arn was at least a larger guy. Mm-hmm. You know, he's not going to lose to like a, well, Pillman's gone at this point, but like, like a Pillman or a Benoit. Yeah. Uh, but he would be willing to lose to a thick guy like Arn, and Arn is a horseman. Uh, he also thought that Hogan would agree because of how much it would piss off Flair. Uh, because it, <laughs> because it would mollify the locker room, and Hogan is aware that he's sort of losing the locker room a bit. Mm-hmm. And uh, that, you know, Hogan would be able to say for quite a while, what are you talking about that I refuse to do jobs? I lost to Arn Anderson, who's never been a main event singles wrestler, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, so it would kind of neutralize Flair, and Flair could still make the complaints, but people would be less likely to listen because Hogan would always have this to point to. <laughs> Sullivan actually claims uh, that he approached Hogan with the idea that Hogan put over Arn, and before he could explain all the screwy ending, uh, the screw job booking that would kind of help protect Hogan, Hogan instantly agreed. Mm-hmm. He was, according to Sullivan, right. Hogan was willing to put over Arn cleanly uh, just because Hogan saw the opportunity to piss off Flair, win over the locker room, et cetera, et cetera. Now, I would take that with a huge grain of salt, yeah. but I will say that there is a little bit of believability to it based on what happens next week and and we'll certainly talk about that next week yeah um so i i hogan i don't know that he would do it without any screwiness in the finish but i do believe that hogan was was enthusiastic about this opportunity that makes sense to me Mm -hmm. of course hogan isn't just going to leave it at getting beat so he gets up and conks flair and orange heads together then hits big boots on both uh, and macho man runs out and they dominate the heels for a while only ending when Hogan whips Flair into a chair shot from Macho Man. Flair eats the chair and then gets out of dodge. Arn is one, but it's Hogan who's standing tall and getting all the adulation. Yeah. No, I, I noticed that, that it was, uh, you know, I, I lose, but the first thing we do, draw attention away from the match result. Um, and then that's when is that's about the time when Flair invades the announcers. Yep, suddenly Flair and Arn have invaded the announce booth along with Woman and Liz and let's go to a classic Flair freakout promo. <laughs> So, Dave, what did you make of this particular... We've got a lot of booth invasions lately. What did you make of this week's? This, 
and it's not even over yet. <laughs> this ending, I mean, this Nitro in general is just batshit crazy. It is. Like, everyone, I mean, if I was going to guess, I'd be like, Flair has done a lot of coke before this show. <laughs> because he is just like, he has this crazy look in his eye. Yeah. And he's had it for the whole hour. Like, every time he comes out, he's just like, I'm losing my goddamn mind. And he's not wrestling tonight, so maybe he is partying. He won the championship last night. Yeah. I, I would think it's very reasonable to think that Flair has been partying since Super Brawl ended. Yes. That would be very believable. Right. Yeah. So... He just has like this crazy, crazy look in his eyes, uh, and I think further emphasized because Arn Anderson standing there like as demure and like as <laughs> like, as like solemn as possible. Yeah. But he he's the one part that Arn has is like really great when he's just like, just so you know, the the world is not ending, the sky hasn't yeah. fallen, but I have defeated like, and he like kind of gets like throws some shade on Hulk Hogan like a little bit. He's being like the great undefeat, unbeatable Hulk Hogan. Uh, so I thought that was really great too. You can see that that they're definitely going a bit off the the plan of how this segment was to work mm-hmm. because you can see Macho Man and Hogan in the ring behind them waiting around with Gene Okerlund. Like they're yeah. supposed to get some time to talk, but eventually they give up and just storm the booth and run the heels off. Yeah, uh, Hogan grabs Bobby's headset and starts yelling some shit that you can't really hear that well. Uh, there's a bunch of feedback, which is why I'm probably not including that in the audio clip. Uh, Gene follows them. Uh, fi- he, he like makes his way to the ring, to the announce booth, with his live mic, and there's a brief pom- promo, uh, which isn't very notable, except for it ends with Hogan yelling, Helter Skelter as Mongo as my witness. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, also, he I believe he keeps telling Savage that next week he's going to get his alimony back? Yes. Yeah, yeah if he... Beats Flair, I guess somehow Liz has to give all the money back or yeah. something. I don't know if it's this. I mean, week. it's not an actual stipulation. No, <laughs> but he he keeps mentioning like the alimony, and he says helter skelter like a few times. Yeah, so does Macho. I think Macho is the one who introduces it by just saying like, "All I gotta say is next week helter skelter," yeah. and then Hogan ups the ante with helter skelter as Mongo is my witness. <laughs> That's up there with, though I walk through the valley of the Dungeon of Doom, I will fear no evil, dude. Dude. <laughs> this is my favorite Ogre quotes. <laughs> so that's the end of our show. Uh, it's a fucking batshit crazy Nitro. <laughs> right. uh, let's get our, our housekeeping out of the way. Davis, who is your MVP of this show? I am going to... I, I, it felt like a bit of a toss-up um, between the Nature Boy, Ric Flair, and Arn Anderson. Yes, those are my top candidates as um, well. I could I could really go either way. Um so I think I'll go with Arn Anderson because okay. he gets like the big win. Sure. I just I just really feel like that Ric Flair um did a really great job of like without wrestling a match, keeping such like a focus on him being champion. Yeah. And when he was out there looking like he made all the impression like this is what happens when you're on top. Yeah. Like th- you get all of this. Like Savage loses. He has nothing. I have everything. He 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 pulled off like the champion, like the conquering champion, really well. So that's right. why I had a toss up. But yeah. like this is also Arn Anderson's like biggest win ever. Yeah. So all right. So you're going with Arn. So then I'll I'll take the other side. I'll take Flair. Mm-hmm. Um, 
mostly just because the genius bit of popping off a gurney where he's <laughs> under a white sheet <laughs> right. and, and strolling down the aisle with women on his arm while Gene Okerlund tries to keep up with a microphone. <laughs> yes. Just classic stuff. <laughs> uh, match of the night, I'm going to go with Arn and Hogan. I imagine you're probably picking the same. Yeah, I mean... You, you're sure you don't want to go with Loch Ness and Scott Riggs? <laughs> it's just, it's a bummer that, like, the very end of that match had to be so crummy and, like, overbooked because... Uh, I thought the Arn Anderson was making Hogan look awfully good yeah. for what you get from Hulk Hogan. And it's really too bad that they they could have avoided the whole thing where Ric Flair came into the ring because, like, that whole part just feels weird because he should have been disqualified. Uh, just have, like, have like the stuff with the powder and the boot and all that, and that should have been fine. All right. Uh, in our Raw recap, there was no Raw. Uh, it was the Westminster Dog show this evening oh yeah i i have such clear memories of like once a year being so mad yeah. that i turned on raw and it was these fucking dogs walking around yeah because because like 96 you did you didn't really get like the heads up yeah you would just turn it on you'd be like what the fuck is this dog <laughs> show going so in the ratings uh nitro got a record for nitro a 3.7 nice however the westminster dog show got a 3.9 <laughs> i'm not kidding <laughs> so people love that fucking dog show <laughs> so so when uh, the one we, the time when raw goes off they get better <laughs> that's gotta be so that's gotta be so uh humiliating for bits you'd think so <laughs> all right so let's talk about the pillman stuff that we alluded to earlier so as we mentioned the super Bowl match it's been set up as an i respect you strap match between pillman and sullivan and we've seen on Nitro a bit where in their tag match, uh, where it was Arn and Pillman versus Mo Hugh Morris and Sullivan, yeah. moments during that match where it seemed like they were shooting on each other. Sullivan also would have a promo uh, between that Nitro and Super Brawl. I believe it was on Saturday night. I, I couldn't find it, but I've, I've heard reference to it a number of times. Okay. Where he breaks a pencil during the promo, which is a symbolic thing that he is not acting in his capacity as Booker. Like, this shit's real. Oh, Apparently, that's gotcha. like a Japanese thing that they do sometimes. Oh. Um, I don't know if anyone in America other than Dave Meltzer knew what the fuck he was going <laughs> for with that, but, uh, but it's something that he did. That's also a thing where Dave Meltzer knows exactly what he was doing, too. Right. <laughs> uh, so, as we've alluded to before, um, the, the origins of this whole thing come when Brian Pillman went to Eric Bischoff and said that he had this idea for taking his character in a new direction, which is this loose cannon thing. And it's something that he started to live all the time, 24 hours. Anytime he was around a wrestler, at least, mm -hmm. he started acting like he was legitimately crazy. He's working the boys at every opportunity. And no one can exactly figure out uh, if it's a work or not, uh, or if it is, uh, why is he doing it? If he's not crazy, why is he acting this way? Right. Um, so he's been doing that. According to Kevin Sullivan, and, and I believe this, uh, he also was in on it to a degree. He knew that this Pillman stuff was work, and he would almost have to because at the times when they're they're seemingly shooting, then they'll go into something like a tree of woe, which is clearly not a shoot. Right. So for that to work, Sullivan has to know at least some of it. Yeah. So let's go to an audio clip. This is Bischoff talking about the genesis of the loose cannon persona, and you also hear a little bit uh, to give you context of how much Pillman kept it close to the vest. One of his closest WCW friends, Steve Austin. Uh, appears in this clip as well, talking about how he was left out of the loop as far as whether this was a work or a shoot. Mm -hmm. Brian came to me and we talked about 
the evolution of his character and turning into somewhat of an unpredictable loose cannon as we've come to know him. That was all Brian. And it was something that I, I liked because it was different. Oftentimes when you try to be better than somebody else, you copy them. The magic with Brian is that he found a character that was so different than everybody else. It was easy for that character to stand out. For a brief moment, that audience was watching Brian Pillman and said to themselves, oh man, I know all the rest of that stuff is just all make-believe, but Brian really hates Kevin Sullivan. One of the things that made the Loose Cannon character work uh, was that Brian was able to keep what he was doing to himself. He lived the character. And he lived it in the ring and he lived it outside of the ring. So no one was sure, even the people that he worked with, just how far Brian was going with this character. They weren't, as I've, I've often said, they weren't sure if it was live or Memorex, uh, whether it was real or not real. I don't want to ask him, is this a work or is this real? Or because I kind of, I kind of thought I knew, and it was just a, a conversation I didn't want to have with him. Because even though sometimes I wanted to ask the question, I don't want to know the answer. So there you go. Uh, so Bischoff and and Pillman have kind of created this together. Although everyone, whether they say they knew about it or not, everyone gives credit to Pillman for basically doing all the heavy lifting on this himself. Yeah. Sullivan. So he says, as far as Super Brawl goes, he says that he knew, of course, that Pillman was playing a character. He's in on that. But he believed the plan between the two of them was for a four to five minute work shoot where it would look like they were beating the piss out of each other. Mm -hmm. That would eventually brawl to the outside for a double count out, which I don't even think could happen in a strap match. But that's what he says, <laughs> sure. where they would need to be separated. Uh -huh. uh, like so they would be, you know, shooting, quote unquote, uh -huh. and the guys would have to come out and break it up. That's what he thought the plan was right before the match. The ref can't find where the strap is, and it turns out that Pillman has it. The ref is the one who's supposed to bring it to the ring, but Pillman has it. Shenanigans. Sullivan starts getting concerned that he's somehow being double-crossed by Pillman because clearly he he thought he was in on the work, but now there's like a double work, and he doesn't know what it is. Yeah. So he gets in the ring. Uh, Pillman's got the strap. Pillman and him. Pillman just starts fighting him. He kind of tries to shoot with Pillman by making it look like a real fight. He's just kind of grappling, like he's not really doing much. Mm -hmm. And then they get separated, and Pillman grabs the mic, says the I respect you, Booker Man, and let's actually hear an audio clip of that here. Ladies and gentlemen, we haven't seen anything like this in a long time. Oh, Sullivan, he right in the jaw. He hit him right in the jaw and almost knocked him out. And now he kicks him in the solar plexus, and they're not even thinking about a leather strap right now. Jimmy Jett has a wireless microphone. Man, I don't think this is what Aretha Franklin meant. I Booker Man. Oh, he said, I respect you. Thank you. And he walked. And he walked out. And he walked. He said, I respect you, and he walked out. Wow. So Kevin Sullivan, the Taskmaster, will win it. But I mean, for about 45 seconds, we had the darndest fight we'd ever seen. And then after that happens, Sullivan, clearly, if you watch Super Bowl, he has no idea what the fuck is going on. Yeah. He, at this point, so the the strap is actually, like, a lot of it is coiled together and then, like, tied together with a little bit of string or something. He directs the ref to, like, get the string off. Like, he thinks maybe Pillman's coming back and they're going to have the match. He doesn't really have any idea what's going on. Uh -huh. So backstage, Bischoff, who... Uh, it's unclear how much he knew of what was going to happen in that match. Certainly he was okay with what happened because he continues 
to work with Pillman, as we'll talk about over the next coming weeks. Um, he sends Arn out. Arn Anderson, as we mentioned, he comes out. He's just wearing street clothes. And everyone, uh, Arn, Sullivan, Bischoff, everybody says Arn had no idea that this was going to happen. He's completely, he was not expecting to have a strap match that night. Right. He is wearing the most ridiculous outfit of purple shorts mm-hmm. and then like a purple and white polo shirt that's long sleeved. And if you're wearing long sleeved shirt tucked into shorts, <laughs> like nothing on earth could look more goofy than that. <laughs> Plus, he's a dad, so he like has pulled up his socks even though he's wearing shorts. Mm-hmm. It's so funny. Uh, and then Bischoff, so they just wrestle. No one has any idea what they're going to be doing. There's no finish because that match was never booked. They have no idea what's going to happen. Yeah. So eventually, after a few minutes, Bischoff tells Flair, get out there and just end this match. Give a promo about how you guys need to work together. Yeah, and, and I think that was like the one thing you can see that, that, that definitely went off the script because I don't feel like in a scripted uh, scenario, Art Anderson would not be in his wrestling gear. Right. Because he kind of seems like the consummate professional that no matter what, if he's wrestling, he's going to have wrestling yeah. gear on. The announcers keep saying he was golfing all day. Uh, Brain refers to the match as Arn's 19th hole. <laughs> uh, so this is a quote from Bischoff's book, because um, I think it's uh, it's kind of, as far as working the boys goes, whether that's smart or not, you certainly could hear in that clip that Austin sounds a, more than a little hurt mm-hmm. over the fact that he wasn't told. Uh, so here's here's an interesting quote from Bischoff's book. No one else was in on it, but as time went on, a few wrestlers figured it out. I know Hulk Hogan did. I remembered I was doing play-by-play on Nitro, and something happened inside the ring. I don't remember what the incident was, but for some reason, Hulk realized it was all a work. Hulk was pissed I hadn't shared it with him. My assistant, Janie Engel, came up to me during a break. She was white as a ghost. Eric, Hogan just came up to me and said, Well, he wanted me to tell you that you can go to hell. He didn't explain why, but I knew. Eventually, the wrestlers were split about 50-50 on whether it was real or not. When I could do that to my professionals, guys who were the most cynical in the business, I knew I was achieving my goals. If they didn't know, the audience didn't know. The wrestlers didn't like it, of course, because they felt like they were being worked. But I didn't really care. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not sure the wisdom of that, because as Melter will rightly point out, maybe all of this is interesting to a degree, especially if you're one of the guys on the inside. But how does any of this make you money? All this does is make your guys not trust you, and I don't get how most fans even realize what the fuck's going on. Mm. All they know is Pillman came out, he said something, and now Bischoff's telling me he's fired, so I guess, fuck him, I don't care anymore. Yeah. You know, I don't know how most of this is it translates into making money for anyone other than Brian Pillman, who now is, you know, the most interesting man in the wrestling business. Yeah. No, and I, and, and especially like the, uh, I don't care. Yeah. Um, because yeah, you know, alienating your locker room. Yeah. That's not a good way to make money pretty much. Uh, so here's some other reactions. Uh, I just kind of thought it was interesting. Some of the ones I found Arn Anderson freely admits to being worked by the whole thing, but says he didn't really mind it. Mm-hmm. And he thought it brought attention to WCW and he supported that. Jim Ross said he thought Pillman was legitimately going crazy <laughs> and he called Pillman and Pillman kind of worked him for a few minutes before laughing and admitting it was a joke. Or a character, not a joke. But, right. And uh, Ross was relieved about that. Um, Mick Foley is one of put him in the camp of guys that were kind of hurt by it because he says he asked Pillman and Pillman didn't tell him, <laughs> and so he was he was kind of pissed about that. Well, Mick Foley gets hurt by a lot of stuff though. <laughs> this is my funniest uh, funniest reaction as far as all wrestlers go though. Uh, this is from the Wrestling Observer. Sometime around the argument, so backstage Pillman and Bischoff have a giant argument 
which of course is done purely for theater. They're doing it, you know, they're doing it for the boys to perpetuate the idea that this is real. Right. Right after that happens, Disco Inferno was the <laughs> only wrestler backstage to openly question things, saying to everyone in the locker room, they're working the boys. <laughs> Oh, Disco Inferno. I love that Disco's <laughs> the one guy backstage. <laughs> it's That's really funny to me. So anyway, uh, we're going to have a lot more to come over the next few weeks uh, about Brian Pillman. Uh, so don't worry. He, he may be uh, more or less gone from Nitro. Not completely gone, but uh, he, he's more or less gone. But there is a lot of Brian Pillman left to come on this show. Mm-hmm. In other wrestling news, McMahon has come out uh, with guns blazing. In addition to the New York Times ad that we mentioned last week, and and in addition to threatening legal action if Bischoff did not apologize for the power stuff, uh, Vince also filed a formal complaint with the FTC, the Federal Trade Commission, charging WCW with a host of unfair business practices, including putting Nitro head-to-head with Raw, starting the show early and ending late, and forcing media buyers who wanted CNN headline news so forcing like your local affiliates, if they wanted to buy CNN headline news, they also had to buy WCW syndicated program rather than WWFs. He's saying that all of that is unfair business practices and also claims that WCW tampered with a number of his stars who were under contract, including Luger and Alundra Blaze and Kevin Nash, who is still under WWF contract. Hmm. Uh, so that's kind of a notable claim right there. Huh. Uh, he also says that they're undercutting his advertising rates. McMahon also faxed Ted Turner a letter, which he, of course, also released to the media, which is what he wanted to do. You know, yeah. he doesn't give a shit if Ted actually reads it. <laughs> right. It's about blood once again appearing on WCW programming. Anyone who remembers any of the non-PG eras of the WWF will know what a lying hypocrite Vince McMahon is when he writes, quote, Dear Ted, since there has been no response to my repeated request and you and your pro wrestling company, and he actually wrote out wrestling. Nice. Uh, and your pro wrestling company to stop the practice of self-mutilation, I can only assume based on the last two weeks of Nitro that the practice of self-mutilation, slicing oneself with a razor blade, is not only condoned but encouraged. As you know, Hulk Hogan has been bleeding all over the place the last two weeks. <laughs> There have been numerous reference on your wrestling programming that this weekend's double cage match will be so violent that one opponent will be, quote, bleeding to the point of no recognition, end quote. This encouraged practice of self-mutilation is disgusting, violent, potentially infectious, and completely contradictory in every way to your testimony before Congress in June of 1993 and contrary to your 1995 participation of Voices Against Violence. Notwithstanding numerous unprecedented predatory practices against the World Wrestling Federation, if you continue to promote self-mutilation, I hope your stockholders will hold you accountable for this unethically, guttural, and potentially unhealthy practice. Wow. Can you believe the balls (laughs) of Vince McMahon? (laughs) Who, years after, like, within a year of this happening, will have guys bleeding all over his fucking shows. What a... Dick. What right. a ridiculous thing to do. Uh, well, I mean, uh, a few weeks back, we also had that clip about uh, Vince saying that the the Medusa thing was tawdry. Right. You know. I mean, you really you really get down to his point with that last bit where he says, I hope your stockholders hold you. That's all he really cares about. Yeah. He All he cares about is drawing the attention of, of uh, Time Warner, mainly, 
to the fact that this goes on in the fact in the hopes that Time Warner will find it unseemly mm-hmm. and just cancel WCW when they take over. Yeah. And the one th- the one thing he he referred to but didn't really expand on it would be probably the biggest issue is the infectious. Right. Uh, in which I, I know recently there's been a lot of cases in which uh, like in- independent wrestlers, particularly I think like Abdullah the Butcher. Yeah, there's a guy that sued Abdullah over that. Yeah, and that that can be a very legitimate concern, but I, I don't think that was on Vince's mind. Right. <laughs> McMahon has also publicly admitted that he may have to move Raw one hour later so that these two shows don't head, air head-to-head. Uh, however, everyone in the industry believes that if he does that, Nitro is simply going to expand to two hours. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, the one other note from around the wrestling world that we have is on February 5th, Sherry Martell uh, was fired. On the uh, Nitro, she was supposed to do a, an angle where she was going to destroy Rob Parker's car with a baseball bat or a sledgehammer or something. Uh, but she was in, let's say, no condition to perform. I am shocked. <laughs> She's been th- on thin ice ever since missing her plane for that Japanese tour that we mentioned. I think we mentioned a while ago that she had missed that plane. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why she agreed to wrestle, even though she didn't want to, although she demanded that she beat Medusa, as you may recall. Uh, but yeah, so she fucked up. She's gone. I believe that she'll be back later if memory serves. But as for the moment, she has been fired yeah. from World Championship Wrestling. I mean, maybe not so much that plane thing, but like the whole wedding segment at Clash of the Champions, like she was just like ripped out of her mind. And yeah. I, I would say like be like on that on television was probably a bigger concern than missing a pl- flight. Absolutely. Yes. So that is our Nitro this week. Uh, a lot going on in the show, a lot going on in the news behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is certainly becoming a very, very interesting time in the wrestling world, the Monday night Wars specifically. Uh, so I, I hope you enjoyed this week. I certainly did. Nitro was pretty good. It was a, I, it, like there was a lot of bad shit on the show, but it was just so watchable. You know what I mean? It was, it was wacky. It was off the wall. It absolutely was. Uh, and we hope to emulate that wacky off the wall feeling <laughs> right here where the big boys play 20 years of Nitro. Next Monday night. We take the enforcer and the nature boy and his entourage to school. Yeah. The bottom line is, Helter Skelter, as Mongo is my witness, no more Mr. Nice Guy around Nitro. Thank you very no much. No more Mr. Nice Guy. Good night, everybody. 